Welcome to episode 10 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast. Join me by my co-host, the lovely Canadian star of stage and screen, Mary Fincher. I am merely Darren Weeks, yet again, joining us. And Mary, this is episode 10. Holy shit. Episode X on Roman numerals. How the hell do we make it through 10 weeks? I have no idea. It just feels like yesterday we were sitting down to record the first one, and then I realized, I'm like, I'm about to edit episode 10. I can't believe that. It was like yesterday when we said, hey, let's drink beers and just shoot the shit and talk civil war and just see what happens. Maybe yeah. doing a podcast. Really? I think that would work. That was a long time ago. That was sometime in the summertime. That was, now in, here we are. It was in mid July. We were originally going to start the podcast in September, but then we ended up starting it. I think second to last week of August. I think so. I think it was somewhere in that, but it did. Hey, the time flies when you're having fun, as they said. Yeah. It and it's been does. extremely fun. And the Facebook lives have been awesome too. Like that's the other thing that's, uh, I didn't know how those were going to go. I didn't know what kind of community we were going to create, but mm-hmm. apparently we've created this community. So it's pretty awesome. It's a lot of fun. And by the time this drops, we'll have had our first civil war round table for yep. the breakfast club and big news about our live. Do you want to announce the name change for the live that we have? It will now be called, thanks to our friend Fritz, Civil War Breakfast Club Happy Hour. That's right. We're going to call the live on Saturday mornings, the Civil War Breakfast Club Happy Hour. That's courtesy of the great Fitzharmon from New Mexico by way of Texas and great suggestion. So that, I like that. That's very appropriate. So, yeah. so speaking of happy hour, should we announce what we're drinking tonight and what we're doing? We should. So I am drinking Life in the Clouds by Collective Arts Brewery, which is a double dry hopped IPA. I'm definitely mm-hmm. bringing you one of these when we uh, hang out, the damn border open. And my second beer is actually called Short Hills East Coast IPA. And I'm drinking it out of the mug I bought at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. Because it's a gigantic mug and it holds an entire beer. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I guess that's acceptable. I'm drinking the Grace Yingling Hershey's Chocolate Porter that I just discovered. They sell in my area, which is fantastic. And I am drinking it out of my What Would John Brown Do mug. Because we all want to know what would Mr. What John Brown would do, so awesome. um, to definitely check it out. Hey, so so speaking of fun and speaking of gallantry and drinking, what if I what if I said, hey, Mayor, let's go out and get some forty rod or some blue run or maybe a little OB joyful later on? What, what would you say about that? I would say that sounds good, but I would also like some sawbones. Ooh, bringing the heat, huh? Or some crazy bat. A lot of fun names. A lot of fun names. Yep. Of course, you, knowing you, you'd probably drink all of them, and then it'll be another another night, right? <laughs> but, yeah, but um, at least I would be walking around in the morning on like you that one day. Hell you. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> God, but um, so the day the Canadian drank you under the table. Oh, that's right, that's right. I forgot what day that was. It's been so many times, and obviously, the reason why we're talking about this is these are names of alcohol in the Civil War, and we were deciding we took take a little break from the battlefield. We've been doing a lot of battles lately. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed those. We did a little McClellan action last week that yep. hopefully some people got a kick out of that. No one hates us for that, so that's a good sign. It was yeah, good, you know, I know. Right off the bat, good to know. We decided we'll talk about. Have a little bit of fun, and we're going to talk about the alcohol in the Civil War, not just the ties, but just some stories and some personal stories of everything, some of our involving some of our favorite Civil War people. And then we'll talk about how it affected the Civil War a little bit, and we'll talk about some problems that it caused. And then maybe towards the end, we'll play a little game. It's called 
who would drink who would Mary drink with and who would Darren drink with <laughs> back in the Civil War? It's an idea we've kicked around a little bit of time. So I think that sounds like a good time. It sounds like a little bit of fun. Yeah. So hopefully when you're watching this, when it drops, you'll have a drink with you and it's, if it's in the morning and some of our friends who watch in Texas and England and Australia and mm-hmm. every other place they've talked to us lately. Hopefully they have a, lib- a libation or two while they do that. So how's that oh, for an idea, Mary? Sounds good. And I want to say our friend Ryan, who lives in England, who watched our whole Facebook Live last Saturday, which good for him, he was drinking beer. But that's because it was like 2 or 3 in the afternoon in England. And he did say it was too early for whiskey, which made me laugh. What was your excuse? It was 10 o'clock in the morning. You were already drinking. Oh, of course I was. <laughs> yeah, that's... But no. I was... It was cool to know that he he was definitely drinking along with us. Although I'm sure there's some other people that do too. Because I mean, well, I don't know who you're talking about. I resemble that comment, to say the least. But definitely. So yeah. So I think you know, we, there's a lot of stories about alcohol. There's a lot of fun stories that you come up with. You don't see too many of these when you're talking some of the battlefield guides and the, the rangers on tours. I suggest always want to talk about who's drinking and who's not drinking in yeah, these <laughs> battles because it's certainly you might get a good story on a, on a few of our friends. It should be no surprise to you or to anybody that alcohol was just as big in the 1860s as it is now in this endless 2020 that we're in. Year yeah. three of 2020 that we're in right now, by the way. It was just as big, again, with the war going on. It's something that the generals and the officers were looking to stop or slow this down. Because mm-hmm. last thing you want is your entire regiment and companies being shit faced and something happening, which um, happened, and it was not happens. it was not slowed down until like it was pretty lax the first two years of the Civil War, and mm-hmm. then finally they caught on by it was actually around the time that Howard took over the Eleventh Corps that that was when they were limiting the beer rations in the for the the Germans in the Eleventh Corps, and yep. Howard sometimes takes the blame for that, but it wasn't completely his fault because. It was policy at the time, but then Howard being the pious man that he was, was like, you're not fucking drinking. Well, I mean, it's funny. And then, you know, as we'll find out, as I'm sure you know, it wasn't just the the enlisted dudes who were drinking. No. It was some pretty high level. Oh. And, and like, every, like everyone knows yeah. about U.S. grants and a blah. We'll talk about him a yeah. while at some point. It was permeating through all of them. And to your point, alcohol was easier to get at the beginning. I mean, basically officers were, would permit soldiers to have whiskey because they said it helped fatigue. It helped stress. And the soldiers, you know, would find out, you know, oh, I'm very stressed out. I need whiskey. Yeah. Just, you know, kind of like you are at eight o'clock in the morning. And so basically. <laughs> Only because so, I know you. <laughs> yeah, true. That's probably true. I guess I can't. Okay. I can't I can't accept that. <laughs> Jesus God. But they were looking for excuses to drink though. They, they were making up, you know, any reason to drink. I mean, honestly, and you know what though? Can you blame them i mean they're away from home they're in some shitty woods somewhere probably freezing their asses off exactly you know the only thing they can do to find solace is sit around and drink i mean you you can't watch a football game nowadays without drinking especially the fucking patriots oh yeah no kidding like jesus drink for every time cam newton missed through that fucking ball on sunday's game (laughs) i i I didn't i quit at halftime i said the hell with this i'm watching this shit I'm, i'm done you know but but obviously you know, there was a lot of, and this was on both sides of the army. I mean, soldiers would get these passes, these furloughs. Yep. They would leave. They'd go, where the hell they're going back home wherever. And of course, they're going to get drunk. They're going to go have, get the hell out of mm-hmm. there. And again, it's, 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 I mean, the average age of these people is late teens, early twenties. Yep. I mean, you really, really can't blame them. But again, it permeated both sides, the North and the South. Yep. The, the Rebs used to call slipping out of camp and drinking called, they used to call running the blockade. Yes, I was reading you know? that today. Um, yeah. the other, the other thing I found interesting too was, was beer was much more prevalent in the North for drinking 
And that was just because of the, the German immigrants that were fighting for the North. It was not as prevalent in the South. The South was drinking more whiskey. But the other interesting thing that I read was that in some of the Northern cities where there was a lot of breweries and pubs, these breweries and pubs talking like St. St. Louis and places in Wisconsin, so like Milwaukee, they would donate kegs to the cause, basically. What? Why can't anybody donate awesome. kegs, kegs to our cause? I know. Why can't they donate them to Civil War Breakfast Club? We will drink your beer. We'll try it. We'll review it. There we go. Now, now we're talking. Right? Send us beer. We'll try it out. Probably going to like it. And then you get to be on the we'll hold your beer up on the, on the screen here. Yeah, and we'll but, fully promote it. <laughs> but, 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 you, but speaking of beer, though, you would think with the number of beer, the beards people had, there'd be more IPAs, right? But it was German mm, beer they were I know. Drinking. I don't think it they had German IPAs beer. back then. I don't think no. they had IPAs back IPAs, then. IPAs, I think, are, well, German beer is pretty heavy, right? Like Lohenbrau. <laughs> Anheuser-Busch. Mm, okay. That was a that was a company that came out of the Civil War, actually. I know, I, I know, I know. God, calm your liver, Jesus God. You, you talk about about the, these beers. And you talk about it was mostly whiskey. Whiskey was definitely the drink of choice. But to your yeah. point, they had beer, they had cider. You know, they had yep. whatever they could get, they would get. I mean, they basically would make their own. We'll talk about that. They would take this clear alcohol shit and, and they would make it and they would water it down to dilute it. Then they would all spit their chewing tobacco That's into so it so, so to, to make it gold and look like whiskey and they would drink the stuff. God. I mean, could you, would you drink spit and, and whiskey? It, you know, I was thinking about that. Like after you told me that when we were talking last night, I was kind of like afterwards, I was maybe I would if I was fighting in a civil war today. No. Somebody no. hawks a loogie in my, my old fashioned. I'm not drinking it, Mary. I'm sorry. I don't know. 18, I, I think 1863, 2000. I ain't doing it. Fucking the alcohol that. would kill the germs. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. That's alcohol almost killed, the, almost killed the Germans, too. Speaking <laughs> of the left core. Yeah. See what I did there? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, anyway. But it was obviously alcohol was a big problem prevalent throughout both sides. I mean, there's some great stories we talked about going back as early in the war. I mean, you mentioned it was loose at the beginning, but it did tighten up as it went on. Yeah. There's that story in early 1862 where Brigadier General John Winder prohibited manufacturing of, of liquor and sale of liquor in, in Richmond because the, the Confederates were drunk mm. and fucking up the whole town. Yep. Whenever the, the Union soldiers got closed, Jefferson Davis would declare martial law, wherever that was, and ban liquor. But it also led to the underground market type thing where you had – like in Richmond, I mentioned that story with, with Winder. It led to underground sales of alcohol. Mm. You had some provost guards forging prescriptions to go get alcohol because that's how you got it. It's like if you go to you go get whatever, like some sort of medicine, whatever the hell you're going to get. Ultimately, led to owners of apothecaries being arrested and thrown in jail because they were taking forged prescriptions and getting their soldiers hammered. But the locals, they loved the martial law. It's crazy as you think about martial law. They liked it because it kept the Confederates under under control. Otherwise, they were out jumping on top of parking parking meters and flipping cars. They were getting drinking all that whiskey. They're, you know, it was like a, it was like the last Indians World Championship. People celebrating everywhere. Still too soon. Still. Still, fucker. <laughs> how did Boston do this year? Um, did they didn't lose one. Too? They did not lose one playoff game. That's how good they were this year. Really? They were. They were perfect. They were. Mm. They were perfect. Yeah, didn't lose no heartbreak in the world. Again, it was uh, two, it was two years. I think it was two years ago today. They won the pennant. I think. I, think. I don't know. If I'll look into that. Or was that the Indians? No, it wasn't the Indians because they don't win pennants. But anyway, the, we'll talk about that later. But for the most part, you had. <laughs> oh, the look. Nobody you gotta can see, see, the, gotta look. see the look. Yeah, oh, this is why God. you have to watch the video. You fucker. Yeah, that was a Medusa look. I almost turned to stone on that one. That was a good one. But again, what you had basically was soldiers trying to get 
whiskey and alcohol mm-hmm. and the officers trying to prevent it happening. There was a lot of ways the soldiers were getting it besides the, the spit whiskey. You know, they were getting it from home. These guys were getting care packages. Many relatives would, would send whiskey and care packages, especially among the union guys. Yep. There's that story that Benjamin Butler, Boston guy, speaking mm-hmm. of drinking, Benjamin Butler testified to Congress that they had searched as a company who was kind of like a manu- like a warehouse who they pulled all their stuff and they sent it off to the troops. It was called Adams Express Company. And what basically what they would do is they would just take all the stuff and they would divide it up and send it to wherever the guys were. They found 150 different packages of liquor hidden in boxes that are just to his command. Wow. It, it was a big deal. Another great story is um, in about a year later was a there was a Union gunboat called the Jacob Bell. Have you heard the story? I think I have years ago. Okay. Anyway, they the Jacob Bell was searching a schooner off the coast of Alexandria, Virginia. They would yeah. just see what the hell was on it. They found four hundred twenty eight dozen cans labeled milk drink. <laughs> but it, it gets better. It gets better because the guy there's a guy named E. P. McCray was a guy's name, and he felt something was afoot. Something. At the Circle K, okay? So he wanted to check out and see what the deal is. So he was looking at the cans. All the cans were like pint-sized cans. I don't know if you can't see it, but I'm I'm holding my hands. Halfway through the cans, it was cut and re-glued. And what happened was he opened one of the cans because it was right in the middle, and it was filled with something called villainous eggnog, which I guess was eggnog. I went to the dark side. I have no idea what the hell that was. But it was some kind of alcohol milk drink but the brilliance of it was you'd crack the can and you, and one half of it you'd have the liquor the other half you'd have a cup and you pour it into the cup so you had a ready-made drink ready to fucking go how cool is that why don't beer companies do that now i, I don't know I, I, this is i i i i read that i thought it was the coolest story so you find this pick up a pipe can Okay, you yep. twist it. It's, it's like half full. Half of it's in the bottom. Half of half's in the top. You twist it off, and then you pour it into the empty cup. And you got a cup of villainous eggnog. And they found <laughs> four hundred twenty dozen cans of this oh on God. the uh, on on the boat. And it was packaged by a company from Baltimore called Numson and Corral Company. Or I, I don't know what the hell they are, but apparently that was a big part of it. But I love that story. You know, if so many of these people have just turned their brains to good instead of evil, yeah. you know, or finding ways out of stuff, what good they could have done? But I, that was one of my all-time favorite stories because it's just it's just can you imagine finding that going are you shitting me this is what they're doing this is all going to get delivered but but hey it, it worked it worked right. you know they, uh, one of my favorite stories is when sherman arrives in charleston when he does his march to the carolinas and he's greeted by a drunk union soldier mm-hmm. and he's like what the fuck is going on <laughs> and as it turns out you know wade hampton is like he's vacated the dance floor or evacuated the dance floor that was the night that Charleston actually burned because they'd set fire to stuff, but the soldiers had got into the uh, the alcohol and were having a bit of fun. I mean, the thing that goes back to this again is I, you really you really can't blame them. You really really oh, no. can't. No, but it just but what's great what's great about it though too though is I mean for every all the soldiers who are drinking, I mean there's that really cool story. You know, we mentioned it last night. We were just shooting the shit last night, but Benjamin Butler again, going back to him again. Yep. So so there's a picket guard, and this is back in Fort Monroe, Virginia. And every night, the pickets would walk one, one and a half miles away to the picket line. They'd come back the next day. They'd leave sober, come back sober. Every morning, they'd wake up, and the whole company was hammered. And they couldn't figure out why. And they put in an investigation. They couldn't find any liquor. How the hell are they, are they freaking doing this? So they did an investigation, and they found that when these guys were coming back from, from their picket line, they were marching with their muskets straight up in the air. No, they just had a weird angle. And they stopped them 
and they found out they were putting the whiskey in the barrels of the friggin' muskets. So, they, and then when they would get back to the camp, they would empty the muskets and they'd all drink. Oh so they were putting they, they were putting the they were putting the whiskey in, down the barrels, and they were they're getting it from somewhere and they were watching back, holding it. Just pitch them walking with this, yeah. so it wouldn't spill. And they're all they're walking along, you know, do 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 do. They get back and they all their friends are all excited. Yeah, they're back. <laughs> Took them forever, but, but I guess Benjamin Butler finally figured it out. I guess they probably all got in trouble, I imagine. Wow. But I mean, you think of the ingenuity of some of these guys to do oh, this yeah. stuff, just, just, to, just, just sneak to have that. But you know, the reason, I mean, they're probably drinking for the same reasons that we do today, you know, like especially during a crisis like COVID. You think that the one thing here in Ontario, we found out our, the sales at the Lickbo, which is what I call the place where we go buy alcohol because it's provincially controlled by the government. They were up like 30 to 40%. I'll admit I was one of those. Like I'm no, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey Mary, what are you doing? Huh? What, are you, what are you doing later? I'm going to go to the Lickbo. Yeah. You hear that from me like death. two times a week. I went there today. Well, actually, Two like, times a week. It's almost every day. that ends in a Y times a week, but it's pretty close. You mm, go today. I you was not today, there. right? Yeah, I was not okay. the one that drove to three different Lickbos on um, Saturday looking for chocolate beer. I found it though. Mm-hmm. Mission successful. Mission successful. <laughs> but but it's, it's all good. Drinking it right now, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Anyway, so but it's not just the soldiers though. I mean, that's the thing is it's all the same attitudes now. There's that fantastic story of the Battle of Stones River, mm-hmm. in Murfreesboro, December thirty first. Yeah. 1862. December 31st. Is that the day I think it is? Yeah, it was at the end of the year, I think. Here, it's, it's New Year's Eve, right? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, I'm, pretty sure. River, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it is. Well, anyway, so that's, you know, maybe someday we'll do a battle about, we'll do a tour about that or a thing about that. But oh, Braxton sure Bragg, you know, so Braxton Bragg, you know, Braxton Bragg, God, his plan worked. They win that battle. They capture thousands of federal soldiers. The one story, which is funny about this one, is Major General Benjamin Cheatham, who we learned a lot about it at Chickamauga a few weeks ago. He was late, and his entire brigade was, was d- disorganized yep. because he drunkenly fell off of his horse trying to rally his troops. So, you know, he's, I can imagine you're a soldier, and you see Cheatham riding up, and he's hammered, yep. and he's too drunk to, to fall off his horse, and he delays it. So the Rebs won that battle, but perhaps maybe it would have been a bigger battle. A bigger, bigger victory. Maybe old Cheatham had stayed off the sauce, maybe. You know? There's a lot of great stories like that, though. There's, I mean, another, really there's another one, too, of the 51st Pennsylvania at Burnside Bridge yep. during Antietam, where they're, the guy that was leading them, which his name is escaping me right now. The 51st, Burnside yeah. Bridge, Pennsylvania, yeah. New York. Yep, yeah, the 51st. So the guy that was leading them, they were like, we don't want to do this. And he's like, you'll get your whiskey rations if you do it. And they did it. Like, they, they managed to get across. He unfortunately was killed. He was the first to start going across and he got shot um, numerous times and his men actually carried him. They did carry him across the river, but he, he died later on that day, unfortunately. But yeah, his words to his men were like, I'll give you your whiskey rations if you go across. I mean, that probably goes a long way. I mean, nowadays, oh, I would yeah, do almost anything, it would, I would almost anything. Like, yeah. I would almost anything for, a, for a t-shirt, I would do, let alone whiskey. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm, not the biggest, I'm not the biggest whiskey guy. I'm more of a beer guy. But you can see what you're like, well, yeah. You know, I'm probably gonna get. I don't know how I'm gonna make this make it across this bridge anyway, but at least I'll have something to promise yeah. I can try to do. Of course, the most famous drinking general, of course, is you know who Ulysses Sam Grant. Yes, I mean, which we got is... we got to we got to talk about him. Yeah, we got to talk yeah. about him. You know. Grant with drinking, you have to go into it. I think look at it the way we did McClellan last week with Lincoln. Like on the surface, you know, so many people will say Grant was an alcohol, whatever. But thanks to biographies like um, like what White wrote with American Ulysses, like what Chernow did with his biography of Grant, as well as how Donald L. Miller presents Grant in his book about Vicksburg. 
that opinion is thankfully changing to show that Grant probably was not an alcohol. He was just a guy that was like Doc Brown in Back to the Future Part 3. One drink and he was done. But the myth of Grant drinking was perpetuated by Hallett and it started in his days when he was in California. That one time that Grant showed up drunk I think when he was supposed to collect his pay. But it's interesting, like this, the perception of Grant being a drunk. And then you got the bang barn of like fucking Hooker and, or yeah, Hooker and Butterfield. Hooker, you know? Butterfield, Sickles, Humphreys. Yeah, Warren. Well, well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Warren later. Yeah. You know? But just, just, but just that and this perception that Grant, you know, he was an alcoholic, but I don't, I'm not of that opinion at all. I just think he was a guy that, he started drinking, he got one or two in, and that was it. He was done. Yeah, he's, he's kind of like the opposite of you then, right? Mm-hmm. You have two or three hundred that maybe, you've, you know, I don't know how, how the hell you do it for someone I'm as Canadian, as you, but... that's why. All right, well, doesn't get... <laughs> okay, I don't know how the hell it's biolog- biologically possible. There's been a few times. But, I mean, I think with him, though, I think with Grant was everybody... Look, we all know that guy who has one or two drinks, yeah. and he's standing at the bar singing, it's raining men, right? We all know someone. Right. He was definitely that guy. He was a guy who had a drink or two and he went from like we used to call microwave drunks. You go from zero to, to drunk very, very quickly. Yep. And I think because of that, the, his soldiers and his, his guys saw him like that and they just assumed, well, he's been drinking all day because look, look how drunk he is. And also led to the ubiquitous Charles Dana, who apparently is everywhere. Yeah, he is. Being, being sent from D.C. to go spy on him during the mm-hmm. Vicksburg campaign ends up being his best buddy because I think he saw it. But again, you know, there's some great quotes about Grant, though. I mean, James McPherson, we talked Battle Cry of Freedom. That's been, yep. A book's been coming up the last couple of days. He had that quote where he was he had a predisposition to alcohol, but it made him a better general. McPherson's talking about how because of that, he basically had to continually feel the need to, like, prove himself. Like, mm-hmm. he always felt like people think I'm a drunk. People think I can't do it. It was always a self-motivation type of thing yeah so that's a case you can make with the alcohol maybe i don't want to say helped him but it was, whatever motivation it, it gave him mm-hmm. i think i think he always had in the back of his mind that he was going to be somebody who would be never taken seriously yep. because of that and so for that reason he he always focused on it i think he was it was something that did, that did make him better but again he had the results. I mean, I had that quote from Lincoln here where he, you know, he said, I, I wish some of you would tell me the brand, the barrel of the brand of whiskey that Grant drinks. I would like to send a barrel of it to all of my generals, yep. Abraham Lincoln. Hey, but better for worse, he got the job done. Yeah. Yeah. And there was times on the, the Vicksburg campaign where I think there was one time where he, he completely had passed out and Rollins was trying to protect anybody from seeing that, you know, because Rollins not only was the one that would try and keep him from drinking if Grant did drink. Mm-hmm. Then he was the one that had to, you know, keep people away from that. But yeah, I'm not of the opinion that Grant was an alcoholic at all. Like, I just think he was, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, he's like Doc Brown in Back to the Future Part 3. The movie, way. by the way. I think one of the better lo- ones. It is. I love that movie. It's one of my favorites. But again, you know, it's it, the alcohol it was everywhere. It permeated. Yep. You know something? You women were no angels either in the Civil War when it came to the alcohol. Absolutely the not. You know, they, they women had a big part of how the alcohol got in. I mean, this story is uh-huh. about women s- smuggled it in belts under their skirts. This story is how they had fake bosoms, which could each hold a quart of booze. Yeah, you're, talking to, you're, you're talking to the great-granddaughter 
of somebody who was a rum runner during prohibition in Canada. That's Listen, my, almonds, almonds my great was a... grandmother was a rum. Okay. Like she... <laughs> okay. Then we are going to tailgate at a Patriots game and we're going to have you sneak liquor into the stadium. Then you have to get one of those. <laughs> you're going to get, you're going to get one of those fake bosom bra things that these okay. guys had. And you're going to have to rock that because we're going to be drinking fireball in section 328. Okay. <laughs> and we save a lot of money. Cause if, if, if that, if that's, if they could do that in 1862, 63, I can't imagine the technology now, but again, that's, this just goes to show there was a really cool story from a guy in the 11th Ohio where he killed a snake and he decided what he wanted to do was preserve the – in the quotes in the diary, right? It says, like, I carefully dissected the vermin using a long white cartridge, whatever the hell that thing is. But he takes a knife and cuts it down the middle. He goes to the sutler and says, I want to preserve this. I need whiskey to preserve it. The guy gives him the whiskey. He's like, thank you very much. Pounds the whiskey, throws a snake. So these guys are all looking for different, different ways. I mean, just cool different ways to drink. And you got to – you know what? Sometimes you just got to give them credit. Oh, yeah. You, know, you and, really do. Yeah. And for some of them, like for the Germans, it was part of their culture as well. You know, like one of the, like the 11th Corps, which was, it wasn't a completely German Corps, but 10% of the Union Army was made up of German immigrants. So in the 11th Corps, you know, their their commanders, Franz Siegel was one one of their first commanders. Let's um, say it right. I say Franz Siegel. From Franz Siegel um, was one of their, I should be able to say it right because I'm like half German. So. Well, you're, you're such a great con- Southern accent compared to somebody who said Say it's rats, States rats. So Franz Siegel was, it was, I think it was first called the first Corps because it was part of Pope's army during second sure. Manassas, but then it became the 11th Corps. So Franz Siegel was their first commander, but some of their, you know, their, their division commanders were also German. So they did get beer rations purely for cultural reasons, because it is very much part of their culture. Like they're not getting blind fucking drunk but the other thing that happened is when like other people got wind of the 11th corps that they were germans and they had beer they would come over and they would drink with them and they would get completely shit-faced because they probably weren't accustomed to that you know drinking that much and then they would like cause all kinds of problems so that's one of the reasons why they had to put these rules in where it's like we got to give these guys less because other people are going over and getting it well there's a story of the, of the louisiana tigers the zoobs of gettysburg where they're about to march on the July, July 2nd, 1863 yeah. against East Cemetery Hill. And they're standing where that school is now across from the Farnsworth house. Where yeah. Mr. G's ice cream is there in that, that school right there. They're yeah. all standing in that field getting ready to go in. And they're arm in arm dancing around Jigs buzzing. <laughs> and this Jew will really go, what the fuck? What? And they haven't, that's their, I don't know if it was like a, that, that, that uh, Hawaiian fire up dance those guys do, the hell they call it. <laughs> but, but that, but that's what they're doing. I mean, I mean, it's a cultural thing. I mean, the Germans, I mean, they like to drink a lot of beer. I mean, they certainly yep. did. And much to the chagrin of your, um, your Civil War hero. Well, yeah, when How- Howard Sauer. came in, he was, nope, we're not doing that anymore. But it's, I think it's a cultural thing. Yep. But again, I think it's a lot of, it's one of those things when a bunch of kids go off to spring break and they're yep. away from home. For, I mean, Look, you have to just contain it because it'll mess the whole thing up. But at the same time, it's it's tough to imagine that you're going to totally shut it down, especially when the officers themselves are doing it too. I oh, mean, yeah. You know. When you've got officers, like we said, like Hooker, Butterfield, you know, Warren and 
um, Humphreys are doing it too. I mean, I'm sure Hancock was as well. I mean, Howard was one of the rare few, I think, that didn't drink. And then on the Confederate side, which we'll talk about this, like Claiborne mm-hmm. was another one that that didn't drink. But, you know, that that's just the funny thing. Like, it wasn't really, you don't really hear much. Well, I mean, you know, Hooker and Butterfield drank, but they're not talked about this in the same negative connotation that Grant is. Yeah, it, and that goes back to a lot of what we talked about last week with McClellan, the historical memory thing. Exactly, right? yeah. You know, but these guys, I mean, I can only imagine how it must have been, though, if you really think about it. If you're a, you're a I don't mean like a high-level I mean, like just a mid-level guy. Say you're a, yeah. you're a sergeant or you're a corporal in some company somewhere regiment, and do you either give these guys liquor or do you let them make it themselves? And you know they're making this horrible that rot gut stuff, which oh. basically really shitty moonshine that that completely screws you up. And talk about a bad hangover. That's like that's oh like a yeah, Sunday, that's like a, that's like a Sunday morning in Goderich right there. Yeah, <laughs> very funny, Jesus. Fucker, <laughs> there's actually a you store. know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I know. Yeah, we, yeah, you have firsthand experience too. No, <laughs> never. Whatever. He's lying. I'm, I'm, I'm lying. a total angel. Never touched lying. stuff. I heard there was. I was so hungover in Gettysburg. Nope. nope. Anyway, there's a story in one of Jeff Shara's historical fiction books, the Western theater one, uh, "Blaze of Glory," which is about the Battle of Shiloh. The character Bauer, who he's He's a German immigrant, actually. He's from Wisconsin. But anyway, he was on burial detail after the Battle of Shiloh. And he, like, his character kind of talks about how he was burying people. And then he got in, after they were done, they started drinking. And he talks about this two-day hangover he had with this massive headache where he couldn't keep any food down. So I can't even imagine, like, the percentage of alcohol that he was drinking, what that would have been. But that's what he talks about. You know what though? He's he's probably burying some of his friends and stuff. I mean, exactly. You can't blame, you can't exactly. blame the guy. That, oh no, that's I'm not blaming for getting you know, drunk, but he talks about how bad the hangover was. He must have been drinking old Milwaukee if he got that hungover. I have no idea what it was, but he just must have been drinking that shit. That shit La- was that shit Labatt's blue you guys have up there. Hey, I don't drink that shit. <laughs> But well, that's probably true. I know you drink. You like the IPAs too. I but don't again, it, like if it if it's if it's under three dollars a can. I don't buy it. <laughs> three dollars, three dollars and five cents. Lick bowl. Here we go. <laughs> but again, it's a you know it's an interesting study when you really look at it. Though it really explains a lot of stuff because you talk about these guys and they didn't really understand concussions back then. No, you know, so you see a lot of these guys. Famous story there is Joseph Hooker, yep. where he has a concussion at Chancellorsville, yep. and actually he stopped drinking before the Chancellorsville campaigns. So he didn't drink at all, mm-hmm. so he did, so that's a case where they see him wobbling around and they assume he's hammered. He didn't realize they got hit. He had hit in the noggin. Yeah, and he was he was loopy, and that then you know you wonder how many of those stories of these guys who are accused of being quotation fingers drunk, yeah, were just concussed or you know PTSD or exactly. you know any anything else, and they just and unfortunately they're labeled as drunks their entire military career. I mean, some of them, I mean, yeah, some of them did drink, Alfred Iverson, Hooker, oh, yeah. Butterfield. I mean, a lot of the sickles, but a lot of them you wonder if it's just a happenstance type thing that yeah. that's that's really unfortunate. You yeah. know, it's, it's fun to to look at that stuff. Yeah. You know what else is fun to do, Mary? I was thinking about this a little while ago. What if we could pick some people that we would drink with? I think that's a good okay. idea. What, what if I said, okay, let's, let's do it this way. Let's play it this way. We'll do two Confederates each and two Union guys each. Yeah. It could be anybody in the Civil War. It could be Robert E. Lee. It could be Tilly Pierce. You got it, whatever you want. 
ladies first. So you start off. Tell me a person that you think you would like to drink with, and then we'll, we'll kind of we'll see we'll see what the hell this goes. All right. So I'm going to start with the Confederate side first. I would drink with Isaac Trimble. Mm, interesting, Isaac yep. Trimble. Yep, Isaac Trimble commands in one of the three brigades of the Pickett Pickett's Charge, three divisions. I mean, he had just no. taken command of that. Yeah. Too. Interesting. Um, and so he's born in 1802. So he's one of the older generals in the Civil War. He's 61 at the time of Gettysburg, at the time of Pickett's Charge. He was born in Virginia, lived in Maryland, and he returned to Virginia after Maryland did not secede. But he grows up in Kentucky. He goes to West Point in 1822. And he had a lot to do with Northern Railways, which is why he um, was very worrisome for the Union after Gettysburg. Trimble is involved with the slowing of the Union troops in Baltimore. He fights with Stonewall in the Shenandoah. And he says to Stonewall, he gets wounded. And they say, we might have to amputate your leg. And he's like, fuck that. So they don't take his leg. It was, it turned out to be fine. So he actually says to Jackson, Trimble's quite a colorful character, which is, I couldn't find any drinking stories about him, but I just, I read about him. I'm like, this guy sounds like a complete, <laughs> first place sounds like a complete dick. Like he's a bit of an asshole, but he's so colorful. He says to Jackson, General Jackson, before this war is over, I intend to be a major general or a corpse. Like just like that. And so then after Second Manassas, he want he feels that he should be, you know, a, a major general. And mm-hmm. so Jackson writes this letter to get him promoted, but then Jackson said, actually, he's not a great disciplinarian. So Trimble is recovering. And he's writing letters saying, like, actually, I'm a pretty good disciplinarian. And, but then he's also fighting with Jeb Stewart over conflicting battle reports over who took the Union Supply Depot. So you can imagine he's going head-to-head with the diva of the Confederacy, Jeb Stewart, over who took what. The level of arrogance right there says it all. Mm-hmm. And then he has it out with Ewell during Gettysburg. Yeah, and like, that story. These guys were supposed to be friends. But then Ewell gets his orders to take that hill of practical. And Tremble is basically there kind of like, imagine me standing there with his sword. And he's kind of like poking him like, come on, come on, come on, take the hill, take the hill, take the hill. And Ewell's like, no, I'm not going to take the hill. And then Tremble's like, well, give me a regiment. Give me a brigade, fucker. I think he made that face though. <laughs> he probably did. He probably did. But Trimble's an interesting one, though, because he's a guy that not a lot of people study. He's buried in Greenmount Cemetery. I visited yep. his grave a couple of summers ago, not far from John Wilkes Booth, actually. Yep. I, he was yep. taken He was taken prisoner. So after the Battle of Gettysburg, and well, the other part to the story with, with Ewell is he ends up apparently, and this is in the movie Gettysburg, it's in the Killer Angels, but it's not known if it's 100% true. I read it on a couple different, there was one website that was like kind of his, like supposedly his official biography or whatever, where he throws his sword down at you and was like, I'm not going to be under your command or whatever. So he gets wounded at Gettysburg, ends up losing his leg and actually says, well, if they'd taken my fucking leg in the first place when I was wounded at before, then I wouldn't be have got wounded again. Because he got shot in the same place. Nearly this is the same Yule? place on the same leg. No, this is Trimble. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's probably right, though. Pay attention, Darren. 
you know, there's just so many. You're just throwing so many facts around, Mary. It's just, it's just like it's like dropping facts everywhere. It's like it's unbelievable. Like, so, how am I supposed to am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to memorize all this? Am I supposed to follow along with you? On such a high level. So anyway, he can't be taken. He can't be taken back to Virginia because of his injury. So he actually he has to recover recover at the seminary hospital until August. And Simon Cameron, former Secretary of War, gets wind of this. And he actually tells the War Department in Lincoln, you have to take that guy prisoner. He knows a shit ton about the railways, and that could be ruinous to us if he gets back to the Confederacy. Trimble will live out the rest of his, well, not live out, but the re- mo- much of his time in the Civil War will be spent at Johnson's Island, which is on Lake Erie. It's actually in Sandusky Bay, and I've visited there I go there. Every time I go to Cedar Point, I actually visit Johnson's Island. And then he will be at Fort Warren in Boston. Fort Warren's a Boston Harbor, as yes. a matter of fact. I've been there a few times. It was the fictional location of the movie Shutter Island. Yeah. Speaking of Fort Warren's a good place. He's yep. a very cool place, actually. Yep. And he lives in, so he's paroled just after Lee's surrender. So he won't actually see Gettysburg is the last time he sees combat. He lives in Baltimore post-Civil War, and he was actually, in 1849, he was involved in building the President Street Station, which is now the Baltimore Civil War Museum. And as Mm -hmm. Darren said, he's buried in Greenmount Cemetery, which is where many Mm -hmm. prominent Confederates are buried, as well as where John Wilkes Booth is buried, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've actually been to that real museum. It's right not far from the uh, Camden Yards ballpark, as a matter of fact. So, and I would drink with him just because he was such a colorful character and because he's not somebody a lot of people study in the Civil War. That's a good one. I don't think there's, I don't think I've ever seen a book on, on Isaac Trimble, actually. I mean, there might be, I'm sure there's one somewhere, I mean, but, you know, but I never, um, I he's a tougher really one to on. find information on, like, because I don't like to go to Wikipedia. <laughs> I like to find other sources besides Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's a good one though. I li- like it. That's an interesting one. I wonder how he'd be. How do you think he would be drinking though? I think angry he would drunk, be like, happy drunk. I think or... he would be a happy drunk that would be a storyteller, and he would be like, "Let me tell you about the time that I took the Union Supply Depot before Jeb Stewart did." And so that fucker thinks oh, he got it first. So you're thinking post-war beers then? You're not thinking like during like the, the during. Oh, I'm you're thinking, thinking like whenever. down the road. I'm thinking whenever. Okay. All right. I like it though. I like it though because he's that. I think. I think. I think he'd be an angry drunk. I think he would. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think Trimble would probably be kind of a happy. Drunk I think he'd be happy that he doesn't get blamed for Pickett's charge, where it should be mm-hmm. called the Pickett Pettigrew Trimble charge. I think he's like, you know what? It's all on him. It's his fault. I. I, I didn't want to do it, <laughs> and so I, he probably blames him. But that's a good one though. I like that. Good, good call, Fincher. I like Thank that. Thank you. Digging, so digging. It, it's actually a harder exercise than you think it is. It really, really is. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, I guess we, I guess we've been joking about him forever. So I guess we have to mention Bushrod Johnson, right? <laughs> I guess we have to just because, because I, you know, I'll be home later. Me and Bushrod are going out drinking tonight, but how fun would that be? But you know what though? When you look at him, he wasn't much of a drinker. He really, really wasn't. I mean, he was born in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And raised in the north, part of an abolitionist Quaker family. Yeah. Okay. So you know, it wasn't much fun going on in that house, right? Yeah. You know, his, his army career was was relatively. He had some good moments. Obviously, he was brigade commander at Shiloh. He was a division commander at Chickamauga. Ended up going out east with Robert E. Lee. He um, fought at the crater in the Army of Northern Virginia. Captured 130 prisoners at the crater in Pittsburgh, but in Pittsburgh, Petersburg, Pittsburgh. Jeez. But really, you know, he gets wounded. 
it's Sailor's Creek in 1865. He, he yep. gets the escapes court. He, there's not a lot to him. I mean, what's interesting that I kind of found funny, though, is after after he the war is over, he ends up being a professor at the University of Nashville. You know what he teaches? Math. Mathematics. That's right. Another math genius to go along with you. Just like E.P. You know? Alexander. Oh yeah, he he really he not lined those balls to bounce off that wall. He knew exactly what he was doing. He certainly knew exactly what he was doing, even especially in the afternoon. You know, on the peach orchard, you just ripped mm-hmm. that. So, good times, absolutely good times. But he but he's an interesting fellow though because he just. I think I think when we study these people, I think what's fascinating is you would think that some of these guys would really, really be would be like that. And I, I, would, I mean, and we're thinking this admittedly completely because of his name, mm-hmm. completely. I mean, you know, he just you know that that's the way it is. But he wasn't really wasn't really much of a drinker. So I mean, what would a drink with Bushrod John? I don't know. I I think he'd be kind of cool. I think it'd be fun. Yeah, that's just what he thinks of his name. Just to walk around is maybe give him a name tag. Hello, my name is Bushrod. You know. <laughs> Maybe one of those clubs you go to, they give you a name tag. Maybe I don't know, perhaps. But I think I think he's somebody who I guess I probably it'd be I think it'd be fun to do that with, just because we have a little bit of something to kind of talk about. But he's pretty nondescript with the drinking, unfortunately. Yeah. You know. But I think I'd probably find a way to have fun with him, though. You have a oh, good yeah. time. Well, I think if you ask him, like, I mean, he's basically the MVP for the Confederacy at, at Chickamauga. I mean, whatever shitty dive bar there is in Chickamauga, he's probably got his name on a wall there. Probably <laughs> rough and he's ready. He's probably got his rough and ready. Tabard, he's probably got a stool right there. <laughs> you know, in case of hard times, you call. Yep. You know, one of those deals. He gives you a little little card. I guess. I guess you know, we'll have some fun with it. I mean, there's some better names later, but I'll go. With, yeah. I'll go with Bushrod because we will just because we want to say Bushrod. Just just because we feel like saying the yeah. name Bushrod. All right. Okay. Well, that's that one. So, what? So you did now we need a union one from you, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You do it the hell you want. Fuck me. I can do it. You know, I can do a union one. I am going to do Butterfield. So you could have good ones. He's born (laughs) October 31st in 1831 in Utica, New York. So, hey, the anniversary of his birthday is coming up. He went to Union College. So he's not West Point. And he works. Good good, good school. They won the national championship in hockey in 2016. Nice. You know, do you know Union College has the most. I believe after Harvard as most presidents who graduate from a college in the country. One of whom is not Dan Butterfield. He didn't make it. He didn't make nope. it. But I think that is like that is true. So his father owned a company that he worked for, and that company would one day become known as American Express, which is something interesting I found out. He is a Medal of Honor winner as well, which he will win that Medal of Honor for his performance at the Battle Against Mills, where he sees the colors of the 83rd Pennsylvania despite being wounded. He rallied the regiment, and it, this allows the, the army to escape on scape back to wherever they're going. He is also the composer of Taps. That's that's one of the cool things about him. And, yeah. and every, I'm sure everybody who's listened to this has watched the movie Gettysburg, and, and there's a scene with Tom Chamberlain. He makes reference of it. But yeah, he yeah. actually wrote that. That's actually a pretty cool, pretty cool yeah. thing he actually did that. Bugle Corps. Yeah, but the reason I picked Butterfield is just because he's good friends with Hooker. Their headquarters is described as a bar and brothel, so it is the bang barn of the AOP. And that's probably just, how... I also just want pro- to put the bang barn. I just want that's to put pr- bang barn. That's, pr- that's probably what it says on their Yelp page. <laughs> bang barn. The, the bang barn of the AOP, five stars. <laughs> but he, he also is the one to introduce the hat and the shoulder patches to the AOP when he and Hooker are looking at this reconfiguration they're doing after 
Burnside gets fired and they need to raise morale. This is one of the things they do. And they get this, they're inspired by Kearney because Kearney is the first one to do it, but he does it at first for disciplinary reasons because he found some troops that have been doing some shit and they were like, we're not fucking telling you where we're from. <laughs> but this is actually a good time for me to mention. Untold Civil War is a podcast that we've both been listening to lately. Yeah. And it's really yeah. good. So I am right now, I'm about halfway through it. Um, episode, I think it's episode two or episode three is to do with like insignia with dog tags and all that from the civil war and it's a really really good episode so i highly recommend listening to it um untold civil war podcast it's very very good yeah we um, heard our, our, our friend matt calorie from addressing yes. gettysburg on the yeah. other day matt very was on cool. there from addressing gettysburg and it was a really really good good episode too so yeah oh and addressing gettysburg is definitely another podcast to to listen to as well matt calorie yeah, is cool. really really good at what he he's does he's the man he, he's the man yeah he is definitely, I don't know, he's, to me, with Civil War podcast, that, <laughs> I'd love to be where, where he is with that. It's awesome, you know. Yeah. Butterfield, he is Meade's chief of staff when Meade takes over the AOP, but Meade doesn't like him, nor does he trust him. So that's kind of an awkward situation. So Meade ends up just getting rid of him because I think Butterfield gets wounded during the Battle of Gettysburg. So I think it was on July 14th, Meade's like, fuck this, you're gone. So he's in the Western Theater for a while. He goes back with Hooker, but he ends up becoming ill and he'll do some kind of light duty stuff at in Vicksburg for the remainder of the Civil War. He's involved in a scandal in Grant's cabinet because he's assistant treasurer of the United States and he's involved in a gold scandal that leads to yep. a uh, collapse in the markets, I think it is. That's, that's usually what happens. Yep, <laughs> yeah, a bit of a scandal there where he doesn't tell Grant about it and Grant does something and it leads to a financial crisis. So yeah, it didn't work out too up a grant either, actually. No. So Butterfield, yeah, so. I thought was quite, I, I admittedly, I did not know too much about him going into this, but reading about him, like he's quite a colorful character. I think just given the bang barn, bar brothel thing. <laughs> you just love saying bang barn. I do. I love saying bang barn. Just love saying bang barn. I mean, how, I mean who doesn't? I mean, it's, just, it's, yeah, it's a great, the bang it's a great word. <laughs> the bang barn. But yeah, just, just given that, I also like when I found out, you know, he's a winner of the Medal of Honor, like that's a cool thing to mention because that might not be something a lot of people know about. If you don't look at these more minor characters in the Civil War, because I always knew who Butterfield was, but I hadn't done a lot of looking at him before. So to find out this mm -hmm. stuff about him was pretty cool. So I think he'd be fun to drink with. I would agree with that. I like, I think he'd be fun. I think, yeah. I mean, he was one of Sickles boys. He was one of the ones who, you know, mm -hmm. got the whole deal, part of that yeah. hooker thing. Yeah. But if you're going to drink with a guy, you, you, I mean, you either want to have a guy who's going to be fun or a guy who's going to tell you a lot of stories. And you know, Butterfield being yeah. with, me to being with Hooker and all these guys and being with Grant and that whole he'd have some good stories to tell. He'd he'd be like that when you sit at the bar and he's the old dude there and he's got all the stories and you sit there and listen to him for three hours as he's drinking his Rob Roy. You know? But I think that'd be pretty pretty cool to see that. Yeah. But that's a good one. That's a good one. I guess my next one is is one that I think it'd be fun to do just because of who he is, and that's that's got to be George Custer. And he's another guy who really didn't drink, but I think he'd be fun. I think he'd be a fun guy. This is a guy who you know he didn't drink as I assume his it sounds like his father was a big drinker, mm -hmm. and for that reason he decided he didn't want to not gonna fucking do it. But he did drink though. He did youngest general in the Civil War, early twenties, you know, very young guy. Graduated dead last in his class from West Point in eighteen sixty one. Kind of like someone I know from Goderichai not too long ago. 
And I know Fucker. I'm kidding. You didn't. You, you, didn't, gradu- you didn't graduate. I'm he likes kidding. to tease me about being older than him. Yeah, definitely. I didn't say 1861. But eight, you know who he – so he graduated dead last in his class in West Point in 1861. You know, who, you know who finished first in that class? 1861. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a hint. He's dead today. Well, no shit, Fucker. <laughs> He didn't make it. He didn't make it. It was Patty O'Rourke. Wow. Yeah, he's um, best of worst of class of 1861. Patty That's O'Rourke cool. and George Custer. It's pretty cool stuff. The reason why he'd be fun is, he, you know, he would scent his hair with that cinnamon oil, and he get that. Fl- he get the whole. F- Oh Locks going, you know, a sharp-looking guy. Court-martialed twice at West Point because he just didn't give a shit. You know, one of them was he was sneaking off with his girlfriend, uh, Libby Bacon, who ended up being his wife down the road. But She was this gorgeous. And her name was Bacon. Yeah. I mean, come on. Elizabeth Bacon, Libby Bacon, and she was, you know, a very attractive woman. Another guy, you know, after they're going to get engaged. The parents don't like him. Most of these stories. I don't think any parents liked any Civil War people because it seems like every single one of them. I don't think it was quite the AP Hill gonorrhea situation, but I think it was still one that he ended up doing. But he ended up marrying her. But then he did something that was very surprising is once he got engaged to Libby, he made a vow to never drink again. Wow. And you know what? You know what happened? Never drank again. Never did. Wow. So that's so. You think of a guy like Custer, you probably think of him riding around, almost like a Union Jeb Stewart kind yeah. of, right? Yeah. You know, chasing all the women, drinking mm-hmm. all the whiskey, and, and he really doesn't. And he's it's it's one of those things where I think perception versus reality is another thing with Custer, where you just when you think of Custer, I mean, you think of I don't know, I always think of it. You think of like the women, yeah. you think of the cavalry. You, th- you think of the drinking, you think of the, the audaciousness, the brash, the whole deal. And he kind of wasn't. He I would assume he would have been a party you know? animal. And so I was shocked when you told me that today that he wasn't into the drinking and stuff. Yeah. No, he, he certainly was. We'll talk some more, but there's a couple more. There's definitely a couple more I want to, oh, I to drink with. There's, there's definitely a few more that are really fun. Yeah. So who's your, who's your next one? My next one is actually a lot like yours. Patrick Claiborne. Oh, what a surprise. She's going by Patty Claiborne. Yeah. I knew you were going to go to Claire. I knew, I knew either Howard or Claiborne was one of the two. Yeah. Was going to be one of them. And yeah. Then somehow well, and Ring, I mean, somehow, somehow Ringle Gap is going to come up. I know, but I'll, I, I'll wait for it. I mean, I, I mean, I've discussed Claiborne many times on our Facebook lives and stuff like that. But, you know, when I first started studying Claiborne, I thought, okay, for sure this guy is going to be a drinker. And I just assumed that <laughs> it's horrible to say because he was Irish. I mean, I'm half Irish. So I'm like, why not? Right. And I thought he would have been one of the partiers or whatever, but no, Patrick Claiborne was a teetotaler and I will get to that in a second. So he was born in Ireland and he will join the British army after he is, he fails to gain entrance, entrance to Trinity college, which is a medical school. And I think it's, I think it's in Ireland. His, his father was a doctor and he wanted Pat to be a doctor too. And Patrick never had taken Latin in his schooling and that was like a no-go. So he, he couldn't become a doctor. So he was so ashamed of himself. He ends up enlisting in the British army. So he's in what's called the 41st regiment of foot, which is a Welsh regiment. He does pretty well there. So in 1849, he comes to the United States. He first will live in Cincinnati. So he does live in the North. His whole, he comes from a very big family because his father died at you know, when he was younger and then his mom, I think his mom, yeah, I think, I hope I'm getting that right. Mom's, mom's in, ends up remarrying and um, she has some more kids with another guy. So he's got step, step siblings and stuff. A lot of them end up settling in the North and actually fighting for the North during the civil war. But eventually Claiborne is going to go to Helena, Arkansas, 
where he's going to be a pharmacist for a while. And he eventually becomes a lawyer. He gets involved with politics there as well. He actually gets shot in a duel and nearly dies. And after he gets shot, his he got shot through one of his lungs. And okay. it was never, he wrote one of his friends one time and said, like, I get short of breath all the time now and like sometimes apparently his mouth would fill with blood that's it was like yeah it was gross it was i'm like david dude like oh that's bad that's that's some bad shit there so to think of where he got in the confederate army is pretty amazing Mm -hmm. but he was a very angry drunk because he got drunk one time in helena and his one friend went to wing wake him up and claiborne just went off on him for waking him up he's like fuck you doing fucker waking me up Sure, you're familiar with that. (laughs) So his friend said, instead of making Claiborne jovial, it made him angry and, as Claiborne remarked, crazy. And so he didn't want to be seen as an angry drunk. And also the other reason Claiborne decided not to drink was he saw how the Irish were treated in America and what their reputation was. And he didn't want to contribute to that. So he became a teetotaler at that point. And, you know, the other thing he had against him, his his name was Patrick. So everybody called him Patty. Like it was like this big joke and they would always tell Irish jokes around him and stuff. And he just did not want to perpetuate that, that stereotype. But there's still some funny stories associated with Claiborne, even though he didn't drink, (laughs) which I mean, if you don't drink, you can still be fun, right? He had a pet raccoon. There was one night where he was sleeping outside with all his men, like he didn't have a tent. And he, in the morning, he got up and he unfurled his blanket and this rattlesnake flies out of it. (laughs) And this rattlesnake had been curled up next to him the entire night, keeping warm. And then there was an incident with a horse when he he was really good friends with General Hardy. And Hardy put him on this one horse and Pat Claiborne hated horses. And he just like, Hardy just kind of hits the horse and is like, go. And the horse takes off. Well, Claiborne came back half an hour later, completely covered in mud, leading the horse. Oh. Yeah. He'd fallen off the horse and he was like, I'm not. Kind of like cheat him. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Except Claiborne wasn't drinking. He's known as the Stonewall of the West, but I personally think that Stonewall should be known as Claiborne of the East. You said that before yeah. many times. That's I've heard you say that. That's I pretty think. cool. I think he's one of yeah. the most talented men in the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. In late 1863, he proposes the emancipation of the slaves from the Confederate army because they need numbers. And General Walker, who I believe we discussed being at Chickabaga, mm-hmm. he was. He fucks Claiborne over by telling Bragg he was unreliable politically, so don't promote him. And this is why Claiborne will remain a division commander for the rest of his career. He, he was one, one of the best ones out there, too. He was one of the best ones out there. Yeah. But because of the emancipation, a lot of people say it was because he was Irish and he was not West Point. No, it is 100%, I believe, because of this emancipation. Because um, Walker also took this emancipation to Jeff Davis. And Jeff Davis put it away. He filed it away. It was not found until years after Claiborne's death. Mm -hmm. So it was not known for a long time that this is what had happened. So this is why Claiborne is sort of an obscure figure in the Civil War, which is one reason why I would say I would drink with him, even though I would be the one doing the drinking. Okay. One that you... you if we're going to talk about a drinking thing, well, there's a couple more that I want to do, but there's, there's one yeah. that we, you just got to do. We got to talk about Joe Hooker. Oh, I was going to he, say, yeah, Ringgold Gap. That was he, my segue. We're clear. Right, let's do this. Let's do this. We'll edit that. No, we don't have to edit. No, it's I'm fine. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was going to say, so Claiborne will fight at the Battle of Ringgold Gap where he is protecting, he's basically making sure that the Confederate retreat can happen. He's outnumbered three to one against Joseph Hooker. And Claiborne wins. 
Yeah. Maybe Hooker have been drinking. I don't know. Mm. We'll find out. Speaking of Joe Hooker, that's what we call in the industry as a segue. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Joe Hooker, I mean, it's a great one. I mean, I think he be a, he might be my one of my favorite ones to go with. First of all, you know, he's a Boston guy, so you know he's yeah. cool. And he's probably a Patriot fan, realistically. Okay. Oh, he so he goes he goes to West Point eighteen thirty seven. He joined, you know, once he gets out of the army, once he gets out of West Point, he goes he joined, you know, he's in the army. He starts hanging out at this really shitty bar called the Blue Wing Inn, which is infamous for whiskey and fighting and women and just all the stuff. Kind of like um a bar in Westworld or one of those movies, you know. He gets a reputation for basically being a partier at that point. He's there all the time. He's a grandson of a revolutionary war hero. People don't always realize that. But he's a big mouth. He's that drunk who gets cocked and gets braggy and mouthy to everybody. That's who he is. So he immediately ends up getting involved in a a scuffle between Winfield Scott and Gordon uh, Gideon Pillow, his higher-ups. That's mouthing off with them. It's going to affect his reputation with Scott. He ends up out in California, like a lot of these guys who kind of like Hancock and Albert Grant. City Johnson Grant. And, and Grant, all these guys and end up in uh, Sherman, obviously. Mm-hmm. He ends up in California. He leaves the army and he decides he's going to do some different things. So Hooker, okay, he wants to get back to the East Coast. He, he's going to join the army, wants money, doesn't have any money to get back. So he's already borrowed money from Sherman. He's already borrowed money from Halleck. And they're not going to give him any more money. So he has to find a way to get back. He basically ends up borrowing money from a tavern owner. I and mean, we don't know how the hell this worked out because the tavern owner not only let him pay for him to get back to the East Coast, he also paid for him to gamble and have booze on this luxury coach heading back to the East Coast. It must have cost a thousand bucks. He made, he made it back. So he gets all the way back, but he continues to run his mouth. He gets back, you know, he ends up, ends up at Bull Run. You know, he's, he's basically, Lincoln called him a very boastful fellow. Goes with McClellan on the peninsula. He ends up being shot in the foot at Antietam and his troops end up getting their asses kicked in Antietam. And again, he's drinking and he's running his mouth. So he's, yep. I don't want to get too, too much into his history, but ends up, you know, Fredericksburg ends up bashing Burnside's plan to anybody who'll fucking listen. Just, you know, Burnside sucks. He big time drinker carouse with the whole deal. His headquarters, they said, was a haven for officer parties. His headquarters reputation of a so it was a government-sponsored saloon full of alcohol, gambling, and women of ill repute. Bang barn. So, the bang barn. He was that's that was the bang barn right there. <laughs> we'll you shout know? out to Leonard right um, there too. Absolutely, you know. But the, you know, when he was in McClellan's army, they had they sang that song where they sang, "McClellan's our leader. He's gallant and strong." And all the hookers' troops would sing, "Hookers our leader. He takes his whiskey strong." That was the so they changed the words and they sang it to him. So that's pretty cool. That's amazing. Um, you know, the whole thing happens with with Chancellorsville. You know, is it a concussion? Is it not? But I, I but I think I think when you look at a guy who you probably want to fun. I think if you look at potential fun guy who was just a, he's that guy you go with. It's Friday night. You're gonna call him. You're gonna go drinking. You know, he's yeah. gonna be mouthing off to somebody. You know what it is? He's the guy you go to a football game with. Absolutely. Uh, or go to a road game with. And you're mouthing off of the road fans because Joe Hooker's your guy because he's going to drink. He's going to have money. He's probably going to gamble a little bit on the game probably. Mm-hmm. But then he's going to end up mouthing off, and that's and then you're going to end up getting himself in trouble. But he, I think he'd be I think he'd be a lot of fun. I think he would too. You know, I think he might be my guy if I had to pick one. We'll talk more about a couple more, but I think he'd be I think my guy. So. so Joe Hooker, Boston yeah. guy. Joe Hooker. So my next guy is 
General Governor K. Warren. Ooh. Yep. Excellent call, Mary. He's born January the 8th, 1830, and he passes away August the 8th, 1882, and he passes away a very angry man, which rightfully so because of what Sheridan does to him. He's a West Point graduate, second in his class in 1850, and he is best friends with Andrew Humphreys, who after they graduate, they end up living down in Louisiana together. And there's a really good Warren biography called Happiness is Not My Companion, and it's written by David M. Jordan. And he talks Mm. a lot about Warren's days in Louisiana, which Warren, lucky for us, kept a journal of it. And he also wrote letters to his sister about it. Don't you love the guys who not only drink and party, but write write it down? Talk about it. In his diary, he's noting champagne suppers, hunting expedition, card games, evening soirees, and beautiful New Orleans bells. Hmm. And he wrote about him. He also said, all the ladies of my acquaintance drank my health at dinner because it was his birthday. The next day, he ventured out into the bayous where he saw plenty of alligators. That would not be my kind of party, but anyway. And he wrote his sister, Eliza. I have now quite an extensive lady acquaintance with no less than three of which I am very much interested. So he's drinking and he's also got the women too. Three of them, huh? Yeah. And it said like he worked really hard, but then he would party even harder. He went to a dance at 10 one night where he met a Miss Chambers and a Miss I Forget with whom I flirted. Oh, this is like the Civil War Nikki Six then. He is. He's the total party animal, which, I mean, that beer you posted on Instagram, that's one of the reasons I picked Warren was because of that beer. Very cool. Nikki Six autograph beer, which is awesome. And then there's another part where he's mildly involved with a very pretty young lady named Purnell. He says also, I'm getting to like Captain Humphreys more and more every day. So he and Andrew Humphreys are good friends. And given what we know about Humphreys and his reputation in the Union Army as being the kind of very colorful language, I'm sure they had some wonderful conversations together. Um, Talks a lot about flirting. So he's very into ladies. His journal records the names of many young ladies with whom he went to ice cream socials, to concerts, to balls, and to parties, even to church. Belle Sheridan, the prettiest girl, he wrote. Lucy Long, daughter of his commanding officer. Lou Gross, Julia Bull, and others. What is clear, though, is that none of this was serious to him. That's a rock star right there. That's a hero right there. That's why I picked Warren. You wouldn't think it to look at him. He's who I consider the other hero of Little Round Top besides Chamberlain. You know, he looks like he might be kind of just a quiet guy on the outside, but he's in fucking New Orleans being like fucking Nikki Six. He's like, he's almost like in our mind, the union version of Bushrod. Except he really is Bushrod. He, he, really, he really is him. Wow. Which is yeah. why I picked him because I'm like, this is a guy that's living it, living, uh, the, rock, good... living the rock star life. He's like what five foot two or something, five foot three. <laughs> no, like it's. But I was like, yeah, Warren. I want to party with Warren. I, I don't think I would want to do much else with Warren. <laughs> I think I just want to party with Warren. Yeah, you're about the same height as him, though. You would actually be taller than him. He you was know? like five five, wasn't he? Oh, I, mean, I think he was little though. I mean, the statue is little at Gettysburg. Not that really? I've climbed the rock and risked the five hundred off. Well, maybe we should just do that when we're there. We'll find out. Fine, I'll stand fine. up next to him. We'll see if he is shorter than me. Oh, good. Okay. That's worth it to get right. picked well, up go- the park for. 
Oh, yeah, that, that's what you want to get kicked out of the park for. That, that's what you're going to get kicked out for, Mary. Okay, sure. <laughs> anyway, so I got one more. We have time for one more? I think we do, yeah. I can't remember how long okay. our delay is, but we definitely – yeah, we'll, we'll say we have time for one more. We're probably okay. going to run over an hour, but whatever. All right. It's the episode. It's okay. Well, you mentioned birthdays a second ago, right? So it's yep. someone's birthday. You know whose birthday it is today? Dan it is the great Sickles. Uncle Dan Sickles. So this is a part of the show when Jen Price goes, oh, my God, what? Someone said yep. Sickles? Yeah, Jay Price is going to so get excited now. We're going to talk. So I, I we got to talk about Sickles because if you want to talk about a guy who would probably be the number one guy to have fun with, if yeah. I was going to if I was going to sit and I was going to have a drink with someone, a night of partying with with him, I don't know what else you meant with Warren. Else you want to do with them, but I'm I, I'm just drinking. With I don't know why. I just want to I just want to drink with, with Warren. <laughs> that's it. Nothing. More. You know. Okay, well, that's whatever. But I think Sickles would be the guy for me. He'd be a lot of fun. Now, real quick, you know, we don't need to go ahead and rehash the entire Dan Sickles story, but it's legendary. I've always thought of Sickles as like the Han Solo of the Civil War. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's a, that brash, rogue, dirty, rebelish, pain in the ass, always yeah. getting in trouble, but always seems to get out of it. He always seems yeah. to figure out a way. That's who he is. You know, he's he's age 20. He's 20 years old. He's living with that Del Ponte family. There's rumors that he's a fool around with the wife of the family he's staying with. Yeah. They have a three-year-old daughter, Teresa. 12 years later, he ends up marrying, yeah, which, which is always they, hilarious. Which I was he reading. Has, they say that he might have adjusted his birthday to 1825. When he ended up hooking up with her later, he, he met her a handful of years later. Yeah. She was 15. He was allegedly 32. So whatever that is, that's yeah. 15, 17 years. That's not yeah. that. Again, her parents, who were people he used to live with, wanted no part of Dan Sickles, and mm-hmm. so, but they ended up getting married. We all know what happens after they get married, 1859, with, with old Barton Key. Barton Key in the bank Barton, barn. Keys, Bar- Barton Key's walking by her the Sickles house, waving the handkerchief on the way to the bank barn over there in Lafayette Square. He ends up killing Barton Key, ends up getting off. By the work of Edward Stanton for the first case in American jurisprudence history from temporary insanity. Yep. You know, the whole thing. He does the stuff in the war. We took all that stuff. But after the war, he ends up being appointed prime minister of Spain by U.S. Grant. So the Grant connection. Next thing you know, he's being accused of what Grant called undiplomatic relations with the Queen of Spain. He's hooking up with the Queen of Spain. So this is this is a guy who's a lot of fun. But in the story with Longstreet, is maybe my favorite trick of story in the Civil War. Yep. And so they, James Longstreet, you know, he was yep. an old war horse. After the war, they become pals. So now we're talking 1892 after the war. So they're both, they're probably pretty in their dotage, they're older. Yeah. And they, they themselves at a party in St. Patty's Day in Atlanta of all days. James Longstreet and Dan Sickles find themselves going to a party. On St. Patty's Day. I don't know if it's like how it is here in Boston on St. Patty's Day, but it's probably pretty good. It's crazy there. everywhere in St. Patrick's Day. Unless it's during so, COVID-19, then it's not. No. That's true. God, tell me about it. So Irish Societies of Atlanta's Banquet. They're guests, okay? And it's all just, – just picture all these rebel people. It's all southern people down yeah. there, obviously. And all of a sudden, here comes Sickles. In Longstreet, strolling into the they, – they come in late at like 9 o'clock at night. They come in together, arm in arm, locked, and the crowd's going freaking wild, right? Because here's Dan Sickles. They, whatever, but it's James Longstreet, you know, Georgia guy. They're really excited about yeah. it, and they introduce him. What does Dan Sickles do? He stands on his chair, and you know what he does? 
in front of everyone, it's all quiet. He sings the Star Spangled Banner. Wow. Right. You know who sang this? Who wrote the Star Spangled Banner? Key. Francis Scott Key. Key. Yeah, so, Barton Key's old, old dad. Bart's dad. How about that? So he's singing a song Barton Key's dad wrote, singing the Star Spangled Banner to a bunch of Confederate people. They must have been fucking mortified. So, of course, the night goes on, and they get more and more and more drunk, these two guys, these two yeah. old dudes. Just picture your grandfather, his buddy, drinking in a kitchen, drinking whiskey. That, that's how these guys are, right? Yeah. And, and so now they're going to go, and – they're waiting outside for a carriage, and I don't know. Longstreet must have had a low Uber rating because they couldn't get a car. So they decide they're going to go for a walk. Basically, Longstreet and Sickles are going to go. They're going to basically walk back to the hotel. So Sickles says to Longstreet, I'm going to walk you back to your hotel. Mm-hmm. It's late. It's dark. I, I'm going to get you back to your hotel. I don't want you to walk alone. So they're stumbling up the street. Picture these two old dudes, drunk as a day is long. heading down the street in Atlanta, right? And, and I, don't, I don't know if they were pleasantries or past. Sickles is getting ready. They're getting ready to go in. And all of a sudden, Longstreet says, basically, but Dan, you're in a strange city. You're by yourself, and you're lame. I can't possibly let you walk back to your hotel. I'm going to accompany you back to your hotel. So now they start walking all the way freaking back. And on the way back, Sickles is he's stumbled along, and he says to Longstreet, he says, you know, you uh, I hope you are sorry. Sorry for your Canadian word. <laughs> I I." For shooting off my leg at Gettysburg. And Longstreet says, basically, you know, forgive you. I mean, you should thank me that I left you a leg to stand on. Picture, you know, Betty White, Rue McClanahan, drunk, stumbling up the streets. That's exactly, that's perfect. That's exactly what it is. (laughs) Drunk as hell going back and just go, just walking back and forth and back and forth in the streets of Atlanta. And that's, that's my favorite drinking story by far the Civil War because it just goes to, it it just goes to show that these guys kind of, some of these guys forgave each other. Jewel early freaking did, but but no. a lot of them did, and it just goes to show a little bit how how these guys were. I, and I I just think it's a it's a lot of fun to talk about how you know how they were, and I don't know how overall the drink was. It's always fun to talk about who we drink with, but at that you got to you got to finish with that story because it's probably the best drinking story of the Civil War, at least in my opinion. I don't, oh, don't, don't yes. be don't be right, me complaining. You can send no, it to I agree with you. It, it completely you know, is, and that's one of those stories that they both talk yeah. about. But I think this is a fun. Do you have any more guys you want to talk about? Or you want to call it a night here tonight, Mayor? No. Do you have any more you want to talk about? No, nah, that go all. I can go all night, but I think it's. I, think oh, I could finish. Too. I think we could finish on a on a on a good um. Yeah. On a no good. Doubt. So just just it's just sitting at the bar, drinking our beers, talking about guys we yep. drink with. That was awesome. For all civil war. So anyway, I think that's a lot of fun. So so some coming attractions again. So um. Well, by the time this drops, we'll have already done our roundtable, so yep. don't start talking about that. But um, but we have our live again at 10 o'clock in the morning, so yep. definitely sign up for that. And then next week, we are going to be joined by a special guest, right? Yeah, we are. Yeah. We're going to have our very first guest in episode yep. 11, the, the great Jennifer Price, yep. is going to come on and join us to talk yep. about the ghosts of Gettysburg. Oh, yep. my God. Yep, so or just Civil War ghosts in general. I think she's got a few different things. I think there's a few That's different true. things we're going to talk about on that episode. So, yeah, I, I don't think a lot of Civil War podcasts cover ghosts, so. You're not allowed to because that's people, you know. Well, we no, are going this, all to the, all the blaze a new trail. All the, all the serious people. Oh, my God. The old serious Facebook pages are going to be talking about, oh, so my God. <laughs> herbs. Look at the herbs. Yep. Well, burbs. well, we are going to talk about ghosts. 
We're going to talk about ghosts. We're going to talk about ghost stories, and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of fun Halloween things, and then we'll uh, we'll definitely do that. But Jen's cool. She has some good stories. We'll have a lot of fun with that. So yeah. anyway, hey, great, great story, great podcast tonight, Mary. I think this will come out well. I think it's a lot of fun to talk about this. It's fun yeah. to go away from that that battle thing from time to time and yeah, talk is, about some, some of the fun some of the fun yeah. stuff. And uh, drinking is obviously a, something near and dear to both of our hearts, especially your heart. But, it, but, but, but it's something that we can definitely appreciate. Yeah, exactly. So, so just thank you to everybody who has supported us <laughs> this whole time through these 10 episodes. We obviously hope to do many, many more than 10 and we plan to, but the community that we, that has been created around this and all the people that follow along with us and interact with us on Twitter, both on our Twitter account, like our podcast Twitter account, as well as our, the two personal Twitter accounts we have as well. It's really, really awesome. So thank you everybody for that. We appreciate it. And anything you want to jump on, we don't forget our lives. We'd love to talk to people. Yep. And now we, and like I said, we do our round table. We're going to do once a month. So by the time this drops, we'll hopefully have some stories to talk about in our next live and yep. definitely join us for the next one. So Mary, as always a pleasure, always Thank fun you. talking to you as usual. And we will definitely look forward to talking to you soon. So great job again. Looking forward to the next one. On, yep. to, on to number 11. We are yep. on to episode 11, Fincher. On to episode 11. We are. This has been awesome with you, Darren. So thank you. All right. Well, very good. So we will uh, catch up with you soon. And uh, again, thank you, everybody. And we will talk to you on the other side. Yep. Peace See out. you guys. Bye. <laughs>